Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for what our eyes are witnessing. Nothing short of miraculous and spectacular is your love and in your embrace towards our families. Uh, focused on our boys uh, vacation Bible school and then the girls with magnified dance camp and then all of a sudden uh, the, the, the summer month Lord brings in ladies with dignity. Father as we are witnessing these things we know that you are faithful with those that are the least of these. That is what the Christian faith is all about is helping young boys and young girls grow up in the fear of God, and to serve as examples, being their parents, being their spiritual leaders. Father, make us healthy so that we can do life healthy. Make our relationships healthy so that our children might enjoy family and might increase in an inner heart that uh, sees life with purpose and significance. We pray that this morning we might consider the foundations of our faith, our Christian faith, Father, and that we might pursue the authenticity of those who gave their lives for their faith in this world, that they might attain the life that was hidden in Christ. Open our eyes. Let our hearts welcome your word that we not sin against you. Allow us to be profoundly transformed as we walk into your word that they would be seeds of righteousness that would bring forth a fruit, Father God, that is birthed in good soil. Prosper your word in our hearts that we might live the fullness of your life and let this word not return void, Lord. Let it serve its purpose for which you send it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I have never uh, preached a sermon like I'm going to preach this morning and I don't even know why, but I think it's necessary. Uh, the, the focus of our sermon today is on death and dying as martyrs. Now, we would be totally led astray and we would be totally deceived if we don't understand that the foundations of the Christian faith is based on the loss of life of those who went before us. Super important. The founder of our faith is Jesus Christ, and he gave his life on this similar um, structure called the cross, and there is where he expired, and he said that he would do this, that he would lose his life, that we might gain ours. That, that was the, that was, and, and it wasn't because we were befriending him either, because usually Somebody who dies for someone else is because there's a mutual affection and sentiment. The Bible says no. The Bible says when we were yet sinners and in total enmity with God, he loved us and died for us. So that, that, that awakens a curiosity in our hearts as we read Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were still without strength, when we were no longer, we, we were not participating with this salvation, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
And so there's no, nothing more serious in this world than to be confronted with the loss of life. I, I think that that is sufficient uh, to shock and to bring anybody to the awareness of, man, this is serious. While, while we're all in song and dance and there's full uh, exuberance of life, there's no problem. But when we see people exhale their last breath, we're like, Something is, is going on here, and this is severe. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so that being the foundation of the Christian faith should be uh, a, a component of our contemplation. We should say, wait a second, if somebody is dying this, there, there's something serious about what's going on. And then the Bible says in verse 7, um, yes, it, it might be the time, scarcely a few times, a righteous man will die. Um, uh, for a righteous man, one will die. Yet perhaps even for a good man, someone would even dare to give his life. You say, you know, so I'm willing to stand uh, at Parkland with the shooting at the school. Um, some of the security guards, some of the teachers and coaches stood in front of the children to give their life in protection of these children. I, I think that that is super courageous. I think it's super powerful that people would be willing to give their lives for those that, that are good. But then it says here in verse 8, not for the righteous... But God demonstrates his love towards us. This is where it's powerful. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that becomes the, the, the foundations of the Christian faith, the loss of life of Christ. And, and an atheist Jewish friend of mine, I was talking to him about the Lord. He's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. We're starting out getting to know each other. I begin to tell him about Jesus, and I actually show him a video of Jesus giving his life on the cross. It's a, the passion of the Christ. It's a scene where, where this man is taken to the cross and dies. And, and my friend, just, it just came out of his inside. He says, to me, this is absurd. Why did he do that? I love that question. I love when he asked me why. He says, that's, that to me, that's silly. Why would he do that? I said, because he loves you. That's the clincher. He did it for you. You could act indifference to it. You could act like you don't care, but there's someone who gave his life for you and life on the cross. And in this death, he did it not to be a hero. He did it that you might live. He did it so that you might capture uh, an understanding about life you would never capture outside the loss of life of Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't forced upon him because he could have called a thousand angels. He could have called a legion of tens of thousands of warriors that would have come and delivered him. And John chapter 10 verse 18, he leaves these words historically. No one takes it from me, talking about his life. No one's forcing this upon me, which is super important. Because if no one forces Jesus to give his life... And he gives it voluntarily so we, his followers, 
have the same disposition. No one's taking our life. No one makes me be a pastor. I've been waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning for 20 years to be in this place. A loss, apparently, of time, a distraction of, of another pursuit, a time to, to go do something. No, I'm dead. I'm a dead man walking. I don't live anymore to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And, and so the Christian life is a call to death. And some people are offended that you might be inconvenienced with a little small portion of your contribution towards life. They would be offended that you would be made to go to church. Oh, how horrible it is. I had somebody on television tell me, um, are you, do you suppose only good people go to church? That's what they say is, is, you don't have to be good to go to church. I said, yeah, that's like saying you don't have to go to medical school to be a good doctor. I wouldn't want to go to a doctor that didn't go to medical school, and I wouldn't want to have life with somebody who doesn't find Jesus Christ worthy of Sunday morning church. To come and, and say, I will give my life because he gave his life for me. And so I believe that a lot of Christians don't even understand that the call to Christianity is to die. To breathe your last. It's no, it's to get past yourself. It's no longer about you. Tell your neighbor that they're talking to you. It's not about you, my friend. Because the first one, he says, no one takes my life, John 10, 18, but I lay it down voluntarily. I have the power to lay it up. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. I, I could decide what I'm going to do with my life, but I have a commandment that I have received from my father. My father wants me to go to the cross. My father wants me to no longer live for myself. He was there just overwhelmed with emotion the night before. The Bible says his sweat became like drops of blood. All the veins in his forehead were so intensely overwhelmed by emotion that the capillaries burst. And now it would be just contemplating the next day of the loss of his life. Nevertheless, he says, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this, but let it not be what I want. Let it not be my will. Let it be yours. So I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. And so the immensity, it doesn't matter if it's small or great. I believe that this call, and we're going to see it today, is a call to lose our life in this world. And the foundation of our faith is that Christ loses his life. And he explains it in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than this. No one has demonstrated greater love in his life than the one that lays down his life for his friend. Now, when you ask the question, why is there an inner compulsion to say, let's not live life. Let's, let's not pursue what is our strength or our capacity, but let's lose this life. And, and so there it is. 
the, 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 the compulsion is a sentiment of affection that causes you to lay down your life. And incidentally, this is what you do when you get married. When I, when I, when I see a young couple and, and they come into my office and they're like having issues and they're like, look, we're not getting along. I know why they're not getting along. Because one of them is still alive. And I tell them, I said, remember you were at the wedding and you had a candle and she had a candle and both of you let the unity candle and then you blew that single candle out. This thing is no longer about you. And then you got to make sure she blows hers out. It's no longer about her. What for? So that the death of both of you creates the life of one of you. The two shall become one. And it's no longer about what he wants. It's no longer about what she wants. It's what does God want. And so in death, there is a power of life. And so I don't know if anyone has told you, and I have probably been negligent to not have told you in 20 years that the foundations of the Christian faith is the loss of life to all those who believed. It was a calling to lose your life. Today the gospel is preached, come and live life large. No, come and die. Come and die. Because if you don't die, you'll never live. Every expression of the heroic nature of the things done in this ministry has caused the life of those who participate. Lily Carrigal was here on her birthday on Friday night, but she was here from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock at night on her birthday. There was no candles. There was no cake. There was no hooray. It was a loss of life that 70 young girls might live the happiest day of their life. The happiest day of their life. And so the essence of the Christian faith is who is here willing to die? And if you don't understand the death and dying of martyrs, you keep on reading. Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose that I've come here to bring great peace upon the earth. Do not think that I've come, Jesus says, to cause people to experience great peace. I did not come to bring peace. I've come to bring people to the edge of the sword. That's not an invitation we want to hear. Come and die at spring of life. Come and lose your life and breathe no more selfishness. What you want, when you want, how you want. Verse 35, he says... I have come to make sure that fathers and sons do not get along. To set the man's heart against his father, a daughter's heart against her mother, a daughter-in-law's against her mother-in-law. Why? 
Because upon the expression of the Christian faith, some are going to want to live and some are going to want to die. He says in verse 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Well, I thought you came to bring families together. No, I've come that some of the family members are no longer going to live for themselves. If I've died for my own pursuit and my son wants to live for his, I have to tell him, son, I died many years ago and you're next. In other words, this is not about you, son. This is not about your preference. I'm not catering to your whim and to your every desire. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Verse 39, whoever is trying to pursue life will lose it. That's, that's, that's the world in its final description. Give me the fullness of my life, and at the end, give me a shotgun to commit suicide. Because in the pursuit of this life, I lose the essence of his life. If I go for what the world wants to feed me, I end up being selfish. And the Lord has given me a cross that I can deny myself. So now the dilemma is, will I die for Christ, or will I live for me? Because if I come to Christ, ready for this? This is the first thing that happened to me. If I come to Christ, I lose all my friends. Well, who wants to lose their friends? Nobody. Then continue to live and celebrate your friends. And I promise you, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life and say... I have no friend but Jesus. I have no other desire upon the earth but him. And that is a loss of life. Trust me, I was 16 years old when the Lord came and placed that division in my life. You decide if you want to keep your friends or keep me. What does a 16-year-old decide at that time? I'll be alone with Christ or I'll be super accompanied by people that per are parading me into the pit of hell. We're celebrating all the way into the lake of fire because there's not one thought of God in their hearts. They don't want to please anybody but themselves. And there it is. The Lord says, he who desires to find his life will lose it and he who loses his life will find it. So I, the crux of your Christianity, and I've dropped the ball because I should have been doing this a long time ago, is are you willing to come and die for Jesus? And that's basically what the invitation is. The invitation he gave many were to come and to suffer what his body would suffer and, and come and drink from my blood and eat from my body and be one in my cause. And so the Bible says the normal thing 
for a man without wisdom is John 6, verse 66. From that time forward, say with me, many. Of who? Of his disciples. Many of his closest followers, disciples, went back and walked with him no more. They're not willing to die. He, he, was, he had come to the place where he says, it's your whole life or nothing. A lot of people want to have Jesus as their friend. He's my bosom buddy. He's, he's, my, he's my fellow. He's my chum. But is he your Lord? Is he your master? Are you willing to die? And dead men don't speak. Dead men don't have an issue. From that time, as he confronted all these followers, they missed the message that it was a message to martyrdom. The word martyrdom, we'll get into it, but you'll see it more, more emphatically explained to his followers. From that time, many of his disciples... And so I don't have an issue with people who have been walking with the Lord for 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. And then one day they decide, no more. No more. I'm, 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 I don't want to give no more. Uh, one girl came in here. She was told that maybe to find her husband in Christ would take 10 years. She wasn't willing to wait 10 years. She left that day. She says, Pastor, today's my last day because I'm not willing to wait 10 years for a husband. I'm going to go find my own now. Within a month, she was already dating and living with her boyfriend. But she did not want to die that part of her life. She didn't want that stuff. This is not a message where we're getting a lot of amen so far. We've been in 15 minutes. Not one Amen. Hey, man, pastor, I want to die for Christ. But the truth is that the early disciples, they knew it was a call to death. That's why they understood. We walk with him no more. Because this guy's saying it's going to cost us our life. And if somebody didn't tell you that, I apologize on their behalf. Just like when I tell a man who's going to get married, my friend, your call to marriage is a call to die. And if he still wants to go with it, then he'll make a good husband. And tell the young woman, this is a call to your death. No, not my death. I want to live and express myself. Then marriage is not for you. Marriage is a bloodless martyrdom. Where you need to die that you might live for God. And from that time on, many of them decided. So we're in good company with respect to the hundreds of millions of people that will not become Christians. Because to be a Christian is to no longer live. Paul explains it in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live. Those are large words. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm up there like, this is not about me. A lot of people need to hear this message. This is not about me. 
It is, I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ is trying to live through me. So that the life which I now live in this flesh, I live with my faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Since he died for me, I will die for him. I will die for him. That means it's not about my friends. It's not about what I want. It's not where and when. The Christian life is that you no longer live. So every time you give your opinion and your desire and your expression, you're still alive. Some Pastor Rivera says it's like the cowboys in the old westerns. You shoot them a thousand times and they keep on stumbling all the way. But they never die. Some of you have been stumbling for five years. Oh, he shot me. He shot me, brother, fall, and that's it. Quit. No, he shot me. He's, and you're stumbling for 10, 15 years, and you should have been dead long ago. You should have expired your last. It's a, a gruesome thing to be in a death chamber at a concentration camp. Last year, we went to Auschwitz, where millions of Jews were led to the slaughter there's nobody there laughing. There's nobody there singing. There's nobody there joyful. You can breathe the stench of death. And it happened in World War II. Years ago. But there's still some awesome power about this life of people dying. There it is. We're led to Acts 1.8. Where Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. This is, he says, you're not going to go to the world to talk about me before something happens. And that something is the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you shall be, I don't know who translated the word witness, which means you testify on behalf of. But the Greek word witnesses, if you go to the original text, it says you shall receive the Holy Spirit from on high, the power of God to be his martyrs. I guess it wouldn't make for a good recruiting for Christian circles to say you're invited to come and to die for Christ. It's not like I'll testify and raise my hand. I promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one church, one salvation. And only those who come to Jesus will get to heaven. And I'll testify to that. But that's not the word. The word is martyr. You shall be martyrs to me. First in your home, Jerusalem, then in your neighborhood, Judea, then in your state, Samaria, and then in every end of the earth. So we need to, we, we cannot read the New Testament without reading this word martyr. You shall be martyrs to me. You shall give, and I'll read the definition here. I went to the dictionary. One who wears one who bears witness by death. Those who after... Martyr is someone who's suffering persecution and death for advocating and not renouncing and refusing to renounce and refusing to not believe in an external party. 
one who bears witness unto death. I will die for knowing and believing and following Christ. I will lay down my life. I've had a lot of uh, my friends says, man, I love my children so much I would die for them. I go, no, you wouldn't. You even, don't even come to Jesus for them. You don't even give your heart to the Lord for your children. And that would, that would be the greatest gift you could ever give. The greatest gift a man could give his family is to be a martyr for Christ. To die about his plans, die about his priorities, die about his wants, his feelings. I had a conversation with my son Nick when he turned 13. Because that's at the age more or less when you're going to make a decision. You start taking life in your own hands and you decide whether you're going to lay it down and die or take it up and have the full expression of me, myself, and I. Everything about you. So I said, Nick, you know who we follow? And he says, yeah, we follow Jesus. I go, you know that Jesus did not do what he wanted to do, but he gave his life for his father. He denied his own desire to go to the cross and to die. He goes, yes, dad, I know that that's who we follow. I go, do you believe your dad lives like that? He says, yes, dad, you just left your law practice. I know you didn't want to do that, but you laid it down to follow his desire. I said, okay, you're my son now. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Will you deny what you want to be like Jesus, to be like your father, and to live for his glory? And I thank God that with one big teardrop, my son at the age of 13 understood that decision he needed to make to continue to go forward in his calling and walk with the Lord. It's not about him. It was to die. It was to die. And so we need to come to this place where our faith is one of a loss of life. It's not the exuberance of our life. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, 9. He says, they will deliver you to go through trials. Okay, that's not bad. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to go through some persecution and hardship. Okay, so that's a good level. And kill you. You will be delivered up to trials and they will kill you. And you'll be hated by all peoples. That word nation means ethnos. Just people, random people will hate your guts because you identify with Christ. You can say that you love Buddha and Mormons and just every God in the world. As soon as you say Jesus, people will vehemently hate you. You can say, I believe in a Martian that just came down in my backyard, and he gave me a deer head, and I bow down, and they'll say, man, that's cool. That's awesome. But you say the word Jesus, my friend, and you get ready to die because they're going to kill you. They're going to cut you off of all their relationships because when Jesus comes in, he wants to be God and not friend. He wants to be God. It's all about him. You will be hated. And so if, you're, if you have a problem of being liked by people, you probably, Christianity is not your calling. If you want to be known and popular and be the guy who everybody likes, you're, you're not going to make for a good Christ-like. That's what the word Christian means. The Bible says if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. They're going to persecute you. They will deliver you. I, I like when he, he addresses Peter. See, that even the greatest amongst his group, there was 12 that did not leave. If we go back to um, John 6, 67, after everyone left, he turns to the 12 
John 6, 67. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? Is this too much for you? Listen to me. Maybe I'm preaching this message because we don't have any more seats left here at Spring of Life. I got to clear the house a little bit. Make rooms for some real Christians to come in here. Because it's definitely a die to yourself message. I hope that after today's message, and I don't have much, I have seven more minutes. After today's message, you will say, Lord, I want to, I, I want to give my life to you that I might see your glory, that I might see your life manifest in my death. So there it is, John 6, 67. Do you 12 want to go also? Do you want to leave? Do you want to forsake? In verse 68, they said, no. <laughs> you preaching these words, if we don't continue to follow you, we have nowhere else to find life. Only you. Whom shall we go to? For only you have the words of this life, of eternal life. There's nobody else talking to us like this. And so in John 21, he starts pressing in a little bit to Peter. And he says, hey, Peter, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has already died. He's already come back. He's gathered with them. He's talking to them. And he starts telling Peter, Peter, down the road in your life, Things are not going to be pretty. Because up till now in your Christian walk, we can start reading in verse 18, John 21, 18. He tells Peter, verily I say to you, when you were younger, when you were immature, you did what you wanted. You girded yourself and you walked where you wish. But when you are older, when you are more mature, you will put your hand out. And another one will grab your hand to lead you, and listen to this, and direct you where you do not want to go. It's a terrifying thing. It's, it's a thing of saying, you know, do I trust God with what he's calling me to? And the verse 19 says, and this he was speaking trying to give him the implications of the death he would glorify God with. What type of death? And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I got in your lifetime a way you're going to lose your life, lose your life, lose your life, and come to the end of your life. Listen, history says that Peter was in Rome, and the penalty of being a Christian was to be crucified. You want to be like Jesus? You're going to die like Jesus. And he says like this. This is Peter, the one who denied him right before the cross three times. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells the Romans, don't kill me like my Lord. I'm not worthy to die like him. So they crucify him upside down. His life came to an end just like his Lord, but on a cross upside down. That's Peter. A lot of people call him a coward because he denied Jesus three times. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he had the boldness to say, I need to die in a manner which is worthy of my Lord. 
I can't continue living life like it's about me. No. So he says, Peter gets nervous, and he points at John, verse 20, John 21, 20. Imagine they say, listen, you're going to die, and it's going to be gruesome. Yeah, but how about Medieros? How about Pastor Kenny? Come on. I can't be the only one suffering. He says, Peter turning around, he saw the disciple whom Jesus followed, uh, uh, loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, when Peter looks at John, seeing him, he said to Jesus, but Lord, what about Joey? How is Joey going to go? How is Oscar going to go? Come on. Omar has to go like me. Oh, my friend, you don't decide how you go. You don't decide how somebody else goes. Peter's trying to say, okay, if we're going to die, is John going to be with me in this? Jesus responds, verse 22, how about, Jesus said to him, what if I want John to live forever? What is that to you? That's for the comparators. Well, I'm the only one that sits here for my birthday, and I'm at Magnified Dance, and these people, this is not even their birthday, and they don't even come, and it's my birthday, and I don't care. If we start measuring our loss of life with why other people don't die, that's going to make for a sorry Christian. I'm not concerned about what people are not giving. I'm, I'm worried about what I'm giving. I have to give my last breath. I have to give my last effort. I have to not sleep at night. I have, to, I have to be, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. I learned that day one in Christianity. That's Christianity 101. What are they teaching you? How are you making your claims? And so he's like, if I'm going to lose my life in such a horrific way, how about John? And Jesus says, I'm going to let John live forever. What is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. My life, if I were to, if I were to pour it out, and, and sometimes I can't. And these guys are, well, Pastor, I'm on board fully. What do I have to do? My friend, you couldn't breathe the first breath of a life surrendered because you'd have to disappear because all you think about is you. It's all about you. I, I promise you, if you tap into a life that's lost in Christ, you're going to live a life that you're going to feel as a dream. It's wonderful. And you do away with selfishness, and that's why the cross came. So once you know it's not about you, then you have the opportunity to express love. Because that's what selfishness deprives you of, loving others. So you need a cross. Hey, listen to me. The symbol of a lot of people's faith, like if you want to be a homosexual, you get a pretty little rainbow. Ay, que lindo rainbow. You want to be a Christian? You got the old rugged cross with all of its nails and the crown of thorns. You're invited to suffer and to lose your last breath because of your Lord and Savior. And at one time in Christianity, Acts chapter 5, as these men started learning about what it was to live their, leave their life, Acts chapter 5 verse 41, it says that Peter and John were flogged. Let's go to verse 40. They began to beat them. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. How many want a good beating? 
Let me put Gary in the back with a couple of big guys, Domingo, Pepe. We get Ephraim back there and just beat you to a pulp in Jesus' name. And see if you'll be back next Sunday. And put Carlos on there too. He got a good punch. When they were beaten, I'm a Christian now, and they don't want me to have friends. Really? I'm going to beat you to a pulp. They just start smacking on you so you understand what Christ has called you to. And we have not. Well, these chairs are so uncomfortable. I can't get it. 15 inches of cushion. And you're suffering for Christ. Because the sermon's taking more than the seven minutes, I promise. <laughs> oh, I'm suffering. This guy's making me suffer. My stomach is growling. I can't wait to go cross the street to all I can eat. They want me to stay. Listen, there's people that get to the church at 8 o'clock in the morning. You're still snoring. You haven't brushed your teeth. And there's people already here that have lost their life this morning to serve you. Because they're real Christians. Some of you, service starts at 10. And I better leave there at 11.30 on the dot. Because my life, my biological clock is ticking. Die. Let's beat you to a pulp in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Acts 5.41, it says, after they were beaten, they agreed with him not to speak in the name and go away. And they departed from the presence of the beating. They had just been beat to a pulp. They had been intimidated. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer hardship. They, they, were, they were, oh, I am so glad I've been able to suffer for his name. And that was the beginning because if you go to the next chapter, chapter 6 prepares chapter 7. Chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the Christian faith. When the members of the Sanhedrin, chapter 7, verse 54, they heard this, they were furious. And their teeth Their teeth were gnashing. I, I don't know. I, I've only seen demon-possessed people do this before. But I've, I've never seen in the natural somebody get so angry. They're like, you Christian. Understand why people are getting upset at our faith. Because it's a call to die. And people don't want to die to themselves and to their plans and to their ideas and their opinions. They were gnashing their teeth and they could not hear. They started covering their ears. And when they began, the Bible says in verse 55, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to be a martyr, he looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, Jesus stood up and he was looking at Stephen. Look, he says, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is like noticing that Stephen is ready to give his last breath. Ready to die. And when he said this, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, they covered their ears. They stopped their ears and they cried out with a loud voice. 
and they all ran at him at one accord. They ran towards him. They weren't going to hug him, my friend. Verse 58, they dragged him outside of the city and they stoned him to death. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at his feet of this young man named Saul. Paul was watching this. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Having said this, he says these miraculous words in verse 60. Then he fell to his knees and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. Forgive them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I, I don't have much more to go, but I can tell you I have a list of every disciple of Jesus Christ and how they gave their life to die. Matthew suffered martyrdom. He was killed in Ethiopia by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hung in Greece as a result of tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was put in a large boiling base of oil during a wave of persecution. They stuck him in this, they stuck him in a large boiling pot of oil to kill him. This was John, the one that was supposed to live forever. They, they, they said that when they put him in this large boiling pot of fiery oil, he, he was deformed in every capacity possible. And it seems to be that, that while he was struggling inside the oil, being burned to death, that he fell outside the pot. And the people that were surrounding him were so grossed out, nobody was willing to put him back in. So he was sent off to the island of Patmos where he saw the book of Revelations. That's where he writes the last book of the Bible. And being deformed, and, and there's no infirmity, there's no, uh, what's it called, the fire unit at Jackson. There's none of this stuff. He has to heal through the pain of, of skin that is marred for the rest of his life because of his life for Jesus. And, and I believe that the Christian pastors have dropped the ball in not being able to show believers the atrocities and the calamities that real Christians went through because of their faith. I was reading this morning, one guy was put into a barrel of tar, which is pitch, petroleum, and he was tied to a, a stake, and they would light the petroleum, the, the pitch, the tar. It would melt the tar, it would burn them, and they were singing to the Lord. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord had me. I'm finally being able to die for my Lord. And the witnesses that were there watching these Christians being consumed by fire would give their hearts to the Lord. Because they said, we've never seen people die with joy. Who are these people? They're your brothers and sisters who went on before you. They're real Christians who gave their life for the cause of Christ. They were martyrs. The, the Bible says in Hebrews 11.38 that some of them were burned. Some of them were eaten by lions. They began to stitch dead animals on these Christians and put them out to be devoured by lions. They're not worthy of this world. Whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in desert. Verse 39. Let's go, to, let's, let's go a couple verses before here. 
You need to read this. It's super important because it's a list. This, this chapter 11 of the book of Acts is the whole hall of faith. All these guys who went before us. Could we go to verse 36 there? Still others. Let's go to 35. One more, 34. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the age of the, the, age of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. After every single one of these experiences, they become more emboldened to live for Jesus. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight armies and aliens. Verse 35. Women received their children back from life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. No, I'm not avoiding the giving of my life. I'm a Christian. I'm a man who is destined to die for my Lord, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They said if, if we, it was hilarious because here we're, we have a food ministry back in the back, and, and one of the large cans of corn fell and hit a brother on the head. I'm saying, brother, that's going to be embarrassing. When you get up to heaven, they're going to say, look, this guy died, a lion ate him. This guy was burned at the stake. This guy was buried alive. How would you get here? Well, corn hit me on the head when I was working in the food ministry. Boy, I'm a hero of the faith. We haven't gone through anything, my friends. Let's stand this morning and say, Lord, I, I want to know Christ. I need to suffer his sufferings that I could experience his resurrection. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James, the just leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over 100 feet down from the pinnacle of a temple when he refused to deny his faith. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to the death with a fuller's club. This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus. James the Greater, son of Zebedee, a fisherman by trade. When Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry, a strong leader of the church, James was ultimately beheaded in Jerusalem. This is found in Acts. I have it here. In the book of Acts chapter 21. It says that this man decided that he would, verse 1, we're, we're in that mode where we're on the devil's list. It came to pass that when he had departed from, oh, that's not the one. Let me find it real quick. 12, chapter 1, sorry, Acts 12, 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. These authorities that lived in the area were coming against these people who believed in Jesus. Verse 2, he says, then he killed James, one of the disciples, the brother of John with a sword. And if that wasn't sufficient, he, he went to kill Peter, but the Lord set him free. He would later die in Rome. Bartholomew known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for the Lord in the present-day Turkey. He was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on a cross in Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, Andrew saluted it. With these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he breathed his last. Thomas was stabbed by a spear in India. 
during one of his missionary trips. We went to India last year. And we were in that same region where Thomas gave his life. It was an awesome thing to know that one of the 12 was there. And that was doubting Thomas. That was the Thomas that would not believe. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed by an arrow when he refused to deny his faith. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas, was stoned and beheaded. Barnabas, one of the group of the 70 disciples, wrote an epistle. He preached through the Italy and Cyprus. Barnabas was stoned near Thessalonica, the second largest city in Greece. Paul was tortured and beheaded by evil emperor Nero at Rome in the year 67. He endured lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write many of the epistles to the churches he formed throughout Roman Empire. These letters, which were taught to many, are foundational doctrines of Christianity, form a large part of the New Testament. There's a book that I read many years ago. It's called Fox, the last name Fox, Book of Martyrs. You better grab some tissue, and you better get ready for weeks and months of nightmares. When you read how Christian men gave their lives for their faith. And so this morning, all I can do is just put the backdrop of our foundations in history. That whatever the people mock and make fun of us and laugh. And, oh, you, you can't go to the movies no more. And you can't see cartoons. And you can't play certain video games. And you don't have friends. And all this list of stuff doesn't even come close to scratch the surface of authenticity of faith. The fact that your relatives don't want to see you no more has been a death in your social relationships. Hoop to do da. I hope that that's the only thing that you would ever suffer. But I know that this call that God has given us is a greater cause to not live for ourselves. This is what Christianity is all about. So when we have all these churches that are proliferating, this is a come to this church and you get to do whatever you want however you want, and you get to feel the freedom of self-expression, my friend, that's not Christianity. That's not the cross of Christ. When you start seeing other people that are dead men walking, that are no longer doing what their potential is, now you're seeing God in the picture. They're serving others. It's not about themselves. Father, thank you for this day that we come into the house of God and you just give us a small glimpse of what the foundations of our faith is all about, Lord. And we're pressing in to lose our life, not to win it, Lord. Because you have promised he who loses his life for my sake will in this world obtain it, O oh God, in a measure which is full and abundant. We pray that the cross of Christianity is not disguised as a candy cone, as a cotton candy, as something that we might desire in the lust of our flesh but there would be the high call of suffering like Christ suffered, that we might partake in the death, that our lives might be buried in baptism, and that we might come out in the fullness of life, that this body that serves sin shall no longer serve itself, but shall serve its creator, its Lord, its Savior. We pray that this word would be wholesome to our hearts, that it would be nourishing to our spirits, and that, Father, our call to change the world becomes being filled with the Holy Spirit that we might die to our desires. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord. God bless you.